And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth and a great day for the chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel. Uh, she has just been uh, reelected to a fourth term. Apparently, it wasn't that close. She had campaigned hard for this. The question I'd love to put on the table to one of the best uh, political reporters in the business, his name is Jonathan Allen. He has been a uh, frequent guest on this show, I'm proud to say. He is the author of the best-selling book about the Biden campaign, which was appropriately named Lucky, How Biden Barely Won the Presidency. It's available now in paperback. He's uh, written recently about this Rana McDaniel race a at a time when uh, people are saying that Trump's hold on the Republican National Committee, and there's some amazing reporting about that in the New York Times today, uh, Jonathan. Uh, does this indicate that uh, uh, Trump still may command uh, the overwhelming loyalty of the people, the 162 people in the Republican National Committee, uh, because Ronald McDaniel was his candidate, right? I mean, that's one of the right questions. I, I guess, you know, Ronald McDaniel was his selection for that job in the first place, but Trump has more recently said that he liked both McDaniel and Hermit Dillon, her main challenger. Of course, Mike Lindell, the Mike, my pillow guy, got. Uh, got four votes i could count them on one hand without the thumb or count them on my four <laughs> limbs um and lee zeldin the former congressman from new york got one vote I, I i think the question is um you know just how deep trump's ties go into the rnc uh going forward and we're just we're, we're not going to see that until uh, until the primary really begins because uh i think that the the answer is that it's a little weaker than it was when he was president um, and you saw that with um, some of the frustration uh, with Ronald McDaniel for being too close to him, um, as opposed to some of the people who are frustrated with him for not being close enough. Um, and it turned out she did the you know the sort of Goldilocks thing, which is she went just right between those two lanes of frustration, um, and really uh, you know kind of an overwhelming win here. I mean, given the fact that the Republicans had a, a tough cycle and that uh, Republicans lost the presidency in 2020. Uh, and lost the midterms in 2018. Um, you know, to think that she's going to be uh, renewed for another couple of years here is, um, you know, I think an overwhelming, uh, an overwhelming sign of uh, approval from the committee. Okay. Meanwhile, there is this from the New York Times this morning. They say the New York Times talked, emailed, or texted all 168 RNC members, and how many? offered an unabashed endorsement of Mr. Trump's 2024 campaign? Four out of 168. 20 said the former president should not be the party's nominee. An additional 35 said they would like to see a big primary field or decline to state their position on Mr. Trump. The uh, remainder did not respond to the messages in interviews some RNC members estimated that between 120 and 140 of the 168 members preferred someone besides Mr. Trump to be their party's presidential nominee. Do you believe that? Um, I, you know, in theory, I believe that that's possible. 
Um, but, you know, you don't run against nobody uh, usually. <laughs> um, so the question is, who would each of them support other than former President Trump? Uh, and would they support that person against him uh, in a head-to-head? It's, it's very easy to kind of, uh, you know, go to the go to the referendum style of do you want Trump or someone else? Um, but someone actually has to run and take it from him. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see um, what happens with that. Uh, but I do think that there's a, a real fear among Republicans that nominating Trump again could cost them the White House for another four years. Um, and you broke and the, the way, story. I think that because of my reporting. In talking well, it, to Republican officials and Republican voters and and what I mean, it's a, you know, that is a commonly uh, expressed fear. Sure. And uh, clearly, do you believe that uh, anyone other than Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, actually believes that she would be the answer to all of Trump's problems? You broke the story, Jonathan Allen of NBC. You broke the story that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene fancies herself as Trump's running mate uh, a year from now. Uh is she serious, and do you think she would be a, a clever political choice? Yes, she's serious about uh, wanting to be Donald Trump's vice presidential running mate. Um, you know, whether or not she can get there is another question entirely. It's hard to know at any moment what uh, former President Trump will do, uh, but I'm sure he would get a lot of advice in telling him that she is not the right choice uh, to show that he is uh, capable of expanding his brand to encompass some of the people that didn't vote for him uh, in the last general election, which is what you're talking about with the ticket made, although I guess it's possible you could name somebody for the you know during the primary season. Um, it's not clear to me that that would make him more popular rather than less popular. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Trump would try again something that Ted Cruz tried last time he appointed Carly Fiorina as his potential running mate before he had uh, before the convention. Uh, I know that President Reagan did that in 1976. He uh, uh, appointed the senator from Pennsylvania, the moderate Republican senator from Pennsylvania, as his running yeah. mate, uh, uh, Schweiker, I think. Yeah, it, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worked. Didn't work for either of them. Uh, it would it uh, would it help? President Trump uh, maybe expand his popularity uh, through uh, the more moderate uh, members of the party? It's possible, but, you know, since he's been the dominant force within the Republican Party, it's hard to think about who is it that would, um, you know, not be seen as uh, to the left of him or to the right of him and then, and then you know, therefore sort of tick off the other side. Um, I guess if he had somebody he was doubling down with or somebody who Inherited him particularly well. Um, you know, I guess it's possible that that might be helpful. But I, I haven't seen it work before. Doesn't mean he won't do it. Doesn't mean it can't work. Um, but uh, I think it's riskier to do that. I think you know, in a general election, you, you make an you know sort of a, a best educated guess, not only about who who best helps you, but who hurts you least. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not sure that Marjorie Taylor Greene fits that bill either. Uh, and what about Kamala Harris? Uh, because a lot of people thinking that Joe Biden's going to announce his candidacy uh, right after the State of the Union address, would he announce it as a uh, another uh, Biden-Harris ticket or leave that an open question? I would be shocked if it was anything other than Biden-Harris. 
Um, you know, if you if you pick a different vice president where you're telling everybody that the first decision you made, the very first decision you made um, as a, a, an advertisement for yourself to the public about your judgment was wrong. Well, what if she had some other kind of, of job that might be, I don't know, more appealing than the vice presidency, which was described <laughs> by two-time vice president uh, John Nance Garner as uh, uh, a bucket of warm uh, spit is spit. what spit. Yeah. <laughs> people say. It was something else that he had in mind. Uh, the, these are all fascinating questions that are coming our way clearly uh, keep in touch with Jonathan Allen. Some of his most recent commentary is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. Um, we will get to, coming up, the uh, the devastating attack on uh, worshipers leaving uh, synagogue for their Friday night services that just happened uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, what is remarkable about this story? What is surprising about it? Why is it very different from the story of the Palestinians who were killed recently at Janine? Uh, well, there's something very, very different here, which we will get to on the MedVet Show. Michael Medved show as we await the uh, uh, news surrounding the release of the videotape of the beating death of uh, Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. There's also horrifying news uh, about another mass shooting. And no, this one is not in the United States. It's in the nation of Israel. It is in the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem where at least seven people were killed and five were injured Friday night when a Palestinian gunman opened fire at a Jerusalem synagogue. Uh, and, and unless you have ever experienced anything about Shabbat, anything about the Sabbath uh, in, in either Israel or in a religious Jewish community anywhere, Part of what happens is people go to services to welcome the Sabbath on Friday evening, and uh, then generally groups of people walk home uh, to enjoy the Sabbath meal that w would follow. And people were just leaving the synagogue after Sabbath prayers when uh, a, a terrorist who happens to be a Palestinian resident of East Jerusalem opened up uh, fire. The Wall Street Journal reports the shooter was killed at the scene in a Jewish neighborhood of East Jerusalem, Neve Yaakov, and a large police force responded. The Israeli police say the attacker fatally shot seven people. Among the five wounded was one 70-year-old woman in critical condition. Uh, the shooter was identified as a Palestinian resident of East Jerusalem, said the uh, Jerusalem police commander. The shooting 
attack in Jerusalem comes during a period of heightened tension in Israel and the Palestinian territories following a deadly raid Thursday by Israeli forces in the West Bank Palestinian city of Jenin that occurred yesterday. That raid left nine dead and uh, it says here mostly militants but also at least one civilian. Uh, it was the deadliest Israeli operation in the West Bank in recent years. Okay, what I think is very important for people to keep in mind regarding this entire story, and it's one of those things that has not been particularly well covered by the U.S. press, part of what is stunning about this uh, murderous attack in Jerusalem is that uh, the, the people who perpetrated it are actually proud of it. Hamas, the terrorist group that rules Gaza, uh, Hamas armed wing uh, basically has claimed credit for the, quote, operation. And uh, both Hamas and Islamic Jihad praised uh, the shooting of worshippers on their way home from a, a, a Sabbath service. Uh, they have praised it as heroic. What is heroic about this? And then what is the fundamental difference uh, between what happened in Jerusalem and what happened in Janine yesterday? And this is also truly important. There were nine people who died in Janine. At least eight of them have been identified proudly as terrorists. Hamas's armed wing, this is the Associated Press story by Isabel Debbie and on the ground in Israel. Uh, Hamas's armed wing claimed four of the dead as members uh, of that Hamas armed wing, while Islamic Jihad said three others belonged to that group. An earlier statement from the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, a militia loosely affiliated with Abbas's uh, secular party, that's uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the 87-year-old president of the Palestinian Authority, they claimed one of the dead was a fighter they identified as Is al-Din Salahat. Okay, so you have one of the people who were killed in uh, in Janine, one who is from the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, the uh, uh, three are from Islamic Jihad, and four are from Hamas. Now, all of these three have been identified by the U.S. and by everybody else in the world as terrorist organizations. They are. So... What happened in Janine was, yes, they had uh, one elderly civilian who was killed, not so elderly. Uh, the Palestinian Health Ministry identified the 61-year-old woman killed as Magda Obeid, which is too bad. Uh, but the whole purpose of the raid in Janine was to stop a planned attack uh, that was being organized at the time by these various groups, an attack on Israelis and taking Israeli lives. And one of the 
the basic ideas here is that um, when when people like a Hamas spokesman Hazem Qasim referred to the attack that occurred tonight uh, at Jerusalem the uh, quote operation in Jerusalem he said is a natural response to the occupation's crime in Janine uh, the attack in Jerusalem comes just before the US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's scheduled visit to Israel and the Palestinian territories on Monday uh, the US State Department condemned the shooting as a heinous act of violence they issued a statement that said our thoughts are with the Israeli people in light of this horrific attack and of course people in Israel are going to feel the attack particularly because today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day it is uh, an anniversary of the liberation of the death camps at Auschwitz and Birkenau in 1945 and the the idea that uh, there are still people who consider it heroic uh, to uh, kill innocent Jews who are at prayer, it's uh, just as hateful as the, the murders that occurred in that Charleston church by Dylan Roof, remember him? who uh, d should receive the death penalty. He had come to a Bible study and then killed people for no other crime than the fact that they were black. Uh, the idea of the anti-Semitism that uh, provoked Holocaust, the Holocaust and uh, that we remember, recall on Holocaust Remembrance Day, the idea that, um, that people should be killed uh, just because of who they are, not something that they have done. And uh, meanwhile, it's to put in context, Tyree Nichols is not the only innocent victim of uh, senseless and unjustified violence. We will be right back with more. The Michael Medved Show. of debate. It's the Michael Medved Show. And uh, Dateline New York yesterday, uh, an Islamic extremist who killed eight people with a speeding truck in a 2017 rampage, remember that, on a popular New York City bike path was convicted yesterday of federal crimes and could face the death penalty. The problem uh, is, of course, getting a death penalty in New York and uh, getting a death penalty for federal crimes when uh, Biden got himself elected as an opponent of the death penalty. Uh, Saifullo Saipov bowed his head as he heard the verdict in a Manhattan courtroom just a few blocks from where the attack ended. Prosecutors said the Halloween rampage was inspired by his reverence for the Islamic State group. The a dozen jurors deliberated for about seven hours over two days before convicting Saipov 34 of 28 counts of crimes that include murder in aid of racketeering and supporting foreign terrorist organization. 
uh, jurors will return to federal court no earlier than February 6th to hear more evidence to help them decide whether he should be executed or spend the rest of his life in prison. A death sentence for Saipov, who was a citizen of Uzbekistan, would be an extreme rarity in New York. The state no longer has capital punishment, and the last state execution was in 1963. That's the state. He would be eligible for federal execution, so it goes right back to a question for Merrick Garland and the Justice Department and for President Biden, ultimately. And the idea that a terrorist like this, who was proud of what he did in murdering people, about half of them Americans, half of them tourists, by mowing them down with the truck that he had rented, if he doesn't deserve the death penalty, then who does exactly? The uh, uh, federal jury in New York has not rendered a death sentence that withstood legal appeals in decades, with the last execution occurring in New York in 1954. Even uh, before the trial, there was no doubt that Saipov was a killer. His lawyers conceded to the jury that he rented a pickup near his New Jersey home, steered it onto the path along the Hudson River, and mowed down bicyclists for blocks before crashing into a school bus near the World Trade Center. He emerged from his truck yelling, God is great, in Arabic, with uh, pellet and paintball guns in his hands before he was shot by a police officer who thought they were real firearms. The vehicle attack killed a woman visiting from Belgium with her family, five friends from Argentina, and two Americans. It uh, left others with permanent injuries, including a woman who lost both her legs. Uh, Saipov sat um, quietly each day in the courtroom. <clears throat> Unlike a uh, 2019 pretrial hearing, where he insisted on questioning the judge about why he should be judged for eight deaths when thousands and thousands of Muslims, he said, are dying all over the world. Saipov moved legally to the United States from Uzbekistan in 2010 and lived in Ohio and Florida before joining his family in Patterson, New Jersey. Prosecutors said Saipov attacked civilians to impress the Islamic State group so he could become a member and appeared pleased and proud with his work, smiling when he spoke to an FBI agent afterward. The uh, federal juries in Brooklyn uh, twice gave a death penalty, a death sentence, to a man who murdered two New York City police detectives uh, once in 2007 and again in 2013, but both sentences were tossed out on appeal. In 2001, just weeks before the September 11th attacks, federal juries in Manhattan declined to impose a death sentence on two men convicted in the deadly bombings of two U.S. embassies in Africa. Do you remember those horrific times? That was Al-Qaeda. And uh, again, the fact that that even the killing on American soil and embassies are technically American soil 
the fact that that does not result in the ultimate penalty really does not indicate a uh, smoothly running system. Uh, speaking of a smoothly running system, there is some news on the campaign of 2024, and we're going to be talking a little bit later with, um, with Ian Bremmer about the top risks in 2023. But uh, part of um, what is going on now is uh, that the Republicans are going to have to step up their fundraising because it appears that for the first debates that are going to occur in July, uh, the, to qualify for those debates they, in the primaries, the Republican National Committee that just re-elected uh, its chair, Ronna McDaniel, is planning to mimic a Democratic tactic in 2020, requiring a certain number of unique individual donors before you can get a spot in the debate stage. The uh, Republicans have been desperately searching for ways to expand their small-dollar donor base, and fundraising pros say the debate requirement could be an effective tool. Meanwhile, speaking of uh, effective tools, President Trump this weekend is supposed to be relaunching his campaign. He is uh, going to be speaking in uh, South Carolina and, I believe, New Hampshire. And not a big, massive rally, but a speech uh, about approaches to the issues. I'm sure that it will have some red meat for the faithful. But the uh, report from Bloomberg is Trump doesn't always get his calls to Iowa returned these days. The former president itching to seal up support early in what remains a key state in the Republican presidential contest has checked in with Iowa influencers who have stood by him in the, behind him in the past. Uh, neither Senator Chuck Grassley nor Governor Kim Reynolds answered the phone when he called them recently. Neither of them are willing to give their party's former leader their nod this early. Senator Joni Ernst, the Republican Iowa, and other top state officials are also rejecting Trump's uh, calls. Now, does that mean that his campaign is finished? By no means. One of the big issues that uh, has been uh, polarizing people in, here in King County is whether King County should adopt an anti-Semitism definition that has been adopted by more than a thousand localities and entities in 39 different countries all around the world, uh, basically... Uh, defining what anti-Semitism is. There was an objection to uh, that idea of King County Council voting for that definition. And uh, there was yesterday a, uh, uh, an opinion piece, an op-ed by a professor at UW who basically said that this would stifle free speech because it would preclude uh, criticism of Israel. That is actually not the case, and that's the case made forcefully by an answering uh, op-ed in the Seattle Times that uh, was written by a friend of mine named Randy Kessler. He is the head of Stand With Us, which is uh, 
a, a powerful international group for support for the uh, truth and for balance regarding America and the state of Israel. We will get to that coming up. It's a particular pleasure to welcome uh, my friend, and he he is a friend, uh, off off microphone as well, Randy Kessler, who is the executive director of Stand with Us uh, in the Northwest Office, and Stand with Us is an international nonprofit that educates about Israel and exists to fight anti-Semitism. And that's particularly appropriate uh, to welcome Randy on International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is today. Uh, you have a very persuasive piece in the Seattle Times today, Randy, and congratulations on it. Uh, what, uh, why should people in King County care about our county government adopting a formal definition of anti-Semitism? It's a great question, Michael, and thank you so much for having me on your show. We believe that uh, in light of the rise of anti-Semitism, as reported by both the ADL and the FBI, uh, it's critical for, for local governments to step up and express support for the Jewish community. Um, but the reason a definition is needed and the IHRA definition is the one that we support, is because anti-Semitism really evolves over time. It is not the same in 2023 as it was in 1943. And in order for government agencies to effectively respond to anti-Semitism and work to prevent it in the community, these kinds of clear definitions are necessary. In addition, there's you know, the, what I mentioned, the difference between 1943 and 2023. In 1943, there was a Holocaust, but in 2023, there is a state of Israel, which is a state that was established for the purpose of serving as a national homeland for the Jewish people while respecting the rights of its non-Jewish inhabitants as well. And in today's day and age, unfortunately, anti-Zionism, uh, extreme characterizations of Israel uh, have unfortunately seeped into our discourse and become unfortunately all too commonplace. And so it's really important that the public has a tool to identify where does legitimate criticism of Israel stop and anti-Semitism begin. And this definition really provides contemporary examples to help educate the public about that. Well, let's get to that, because Professor Halpern, who uh, wrote the column that provoked yours, says that she is afraid that under these definitions, uh, she would not be able to criticize the government of Israel. Israel is a very controversial government right now, even among Israelis. Uh, is there any sense in which adopting this definition of anti-Semitism uh, which has uh, 14, I think it is, uh, uh, indications of the kind 
of anti-Semitic speech that they're talking about, would any of that interfere with the right of any American uh, of, of Palestinian origin or Jewish origin or uh, anyone anywhere criticizing the Israeli government? Not at all. And I'm so glad you asked that question because that really was one of the key contentions that Professor Halperin made in her piece that she was concerned about quote-unquote censoring or some kind of potential criminalization of speech. That's not at all what this is about. And you don't have to believe me, you can read the definition. Uh, it specifically says that criticism of Israel, similar to criticism leveled against any other country, cannot be regarded as, cannot be regarded as anti-Semitic. And that's a critical, important piece. The IIHRA definition does not infringe on anybody's First Amendment right to say, you know, to speak very broadly, and that includes criticism of, of any government, Israel included. But if you, if you or your readers would take a look at the 11 examples, and it's not 14, it's 11, 11 contemporary examples, I would challenge anyone to quote me one of them that's not you know, deeply anti-Semitic. We could have that discussion, and we, we open ourselves up to those discussions when we, when we educate. Um, but that's, that's the position that I would, uh, I would assert on this. Yeah, the, uh, uh, one of the things that is a, one of those 11 uh, statements that are examples of anti-Semitism given by these, uh, these definitions is denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination by claiming that the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor. In other words, if you don't believe that the existence of a state of France is a racist uh, 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 endeavor, or that the existence of the United States is a racist endeavor at its heart, if you don't believe that, then why do you single out only the Jewish state of all the states in the country to say it has its very existence involves racism. It's an excellent point. I've heard, and I think this is an important point to clarify, there's confusion about what it means for there to be a Jewish state. And I'm sure you've covered this on your show, but it is not a religious state. It's not a theocracy. That's not the idea. The Jewish people are unique as, uh, as, as religious groups go, in that to be a Jew is not just a matter of being a religious, to, to, uh, having the religion of Judaism. Uh, as you well know, and as many of your, your uh, listeners know, being a Jew is something you can do without believing in God or without keeping any of the religious laws. So that is the, uh, the important reason why Jews, a Jewish state was, uh, was recognized uh, and stands in the community of nations today as a member of the United Nations. And uh, in, in terms of the, the anti-Semitism and uh, the, the willingness of people of goodwill, including some Muslims here in the Northwest, the <clears throat> National Council of Imams have uh, supported these definitions, right? That's right. I don't think anybody could accuse the Global Imams Council of being a Zionist organization. And uh, and how and there are thirty nine countries, other nations that have recognized these definitions and put these forward. 
That's right. I made the point in my piece that this definition is really not controversial at all. In fact, it's only controversial by the people who wish for their over-the-top criticism of Israel or Jews to be labeled not anti-Semitic. They're fighting against this definition because they want to be free to say what they want without having their speech labeled as anti-Semitic. And I understand that desire, but this is where we have to draw the line. You know, you, you, can, you can say hateful things legally in America, but that doesn't prevent you or, or doesn't mean that you will not receive the consequences of your anti-Semitic speech if you choose to say it. But there, again, uh, and, there's no prohibition uh, about saying it. it's a labeling and definitional approach. And definitionally, I, we were talking before on the show about the sad news from uh, Jerusalem this evening, uh, where uh, seven people at least were killed, uh, five others grievously wounded, uh, leaving synagogue uh, from Friday night services. And this was praised by Hamas as a heroic operation. Uh, uh, Islamic Jihad also praised it as a heroic operation. Uh, would that constitute, you think, pretty clearly anti-Semitism under any definition? I think it's just common sense, Michael. You don't even need a definition, uh, I think, to, to come to the conclusion that praising the murder of innocent people is wrong. I appreciate that. Randy Kessler, um, I'm, I'm pleased you could join us, and Shabbat Shalom, and I probably will see you later on. Um, meanwhile, on the Michael Medved Show, we are still early in 2023, but what are the big dangers that we have uh, that are coming up uh, for the United States and for the world? Uh, Ian Bremmer is one of those people who is a bit of a futurist. He's an analyst, a political scientist, uh, an author, and a columnist at Time magazine. He's also president of the Eurasia Group, which looks at the future and looks at dangers that uh, various nations and groups of nations face. Uh, we'll have uh, Ian Bremmer joining us about the biggest threats of uh, 2023. Also, uh, the Associated Press has determined that there's a very big threat you may be unaware of, but we'll tell you the truth about it. It's the use of the word the. What's wrong with the? We'll get to that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.